Well, good morning. It's good to see all you today. It's good to be here. So we started last week talking about membership and we're going to continue. And one of the main things that we talked about regarding church membership is one of the primary reasons for joining a church is to, in a sense, it's to define your relationship with the leaders of the church. It is also to define our relationship with each other. But you have to, if you're going to be a church member and function in a healthy way, um, God calls leaders to do certain things in the lives of the people in the church, in the members of the church. And he calls members to relate in a specific way to their leaders. And so if you don't officially define that, you cannot practice that properly, either as a leader or a church member. And of course, there's more to it than that. But this morning, we are going to address leadership. And I just want to say that um, we're going to be drinking out of a fire hose this morning. So I'm going to go fast. And you just need to know everything I say today. Maybe there's too much information, but it is a thumbnail sketch. In membership, you, you look really carefully to try in, in Scripture. You look really carefully. You examine Scripture and you see membership in the New Testament and in the early church. But leadership is not something you have to look for. It starts in Genesis. All through the Old Testament, there are examples of good leaders, bad leaders, how God works with leaders, how people respond to leaders. That continues all the way through the New Testament, and there is a ton of very specific teaching. So, just know, this morning is not exhaustive. It is a thumbnail sketch. And uh, leadership and membership is very, very important in the church. Um, the, the Bible says that when a person's fully trained, they will be like their teacher. And so who we choose as a leader is very, very significant. Appointing qualified people as leaders is critical. James 3.1 says, Let not many of you become teachers, for in doing so you will incur stricter judgment. One of the big mistakes that churches make is they just look for any warm body that's willing to be a leader and they'll throw them into a Sunday school class, they'll put them in charge of this, they'll put them in charge of that, they'll ask them to serve. It's like, who can we get to do some stuff? And what we do when we put a person who's unprepared and unqualified into leadership, we bring God's judgment into their life because leaders affect God's people. Acts tells us that the church is so precious that Jesus died for the church. And so there is a great accountability to being a leader. People should not run to be leaders, but leadership is also something that is critical and is important. And so, um, so that's something we, gotta, we need to think through those issues. Here's the other thing, and this is for all of us to recognize every one of us is a leader. Um, leadership is influence. It is influencing other people. And before God, we are responsible for the influence that we have on other people. And so this morning, I'm talking about our elders. So the elders are Rick Ayers. I'm going to say some people's names, put them under a microscope. So we got Rick, we got Mike Williams, we got Dennis, we've got Wayne, and we have Jim. Like those are our elders, and if you're not sure who they are, there's a picture of them on the website, and you can uh, read a little bit about them. And also me and Craig. So we're the elders of the church. So we're talking about us today, but we're also talking about you. If you're married, if you are a man and you are married, you are responsible to lead your home. And one of the things that you see in Scripture is this really close connection between the family and the church. And so what God calls elders to do in the church, he calls every husband, every dad to do with his wife and with his kids. And so if you are a parent, that includes a mom and a dad. If you are a parent, you are leading in your home. And God has a very high accountability for what you do with your kids. And what elders are supposed to do in a church Moms and dads are supposed to do with their kids. If you have friends and you speak into their life, this is about you. 
And so, in a sense, we are going to be talking about our leaders, but we're actually talking about all of us. And so it's important for us to think about that. And as we think about our leadership in those different areas, um, one of the things that's really critical is that there's no leader that's perfect. And so we do need to think biblically about our leaders, but we shouldn't be putting our leaders under a microscope, expecting perfection. And, you know, I think one of the very, very harmful things in a church is when you have an environment where leaders are put under a microscope and where there's, there's no allowance for failure, there's this expectations that leaders always do everything right, that is very, very harmful. And it's harmful because everybody struggles and has difficulties. And one of the absolute worst things that you can have in a leader is a person who pretends everything in their life is fine. Everything in a leader's life is not fine. Or a church that thinks that everything in a leader's life is fine and perfect because it's not. And as you read through scripture, you see that that is not the case. So that's a tough dilemma that we don't expect that. And, the, and I would say also one of the worst things that can happen to a leader is they think that they are the spiritual special forces. They feel like everybody in the church is spiritually lame, but me, I'm the pinnacle. I am awesome. You know, they've called me in to solve every problem and to know everything. And, and actually, the first step in being disqualified as a leader is to think that you have it all together, because that's just not the truth, and that's pridefulness. And at the same time, I'll tell you something else that's very damaging, is for us to say as a church, hey, everybody struggles, everybody has problems, so let's take some people that don't know God's Word, that don't obey God's Word, that are not a godly influence on other people because, hey, it just doesn't really matter. Let's just find somebody to do this. And so there's this balance. How do you hold God's standards high with humility? And Satan's desire is for us to depart to the right or to depart to the left. The thing that Satan doesn't want us to do is to stay faithful on the path that God's called us to. So we can compromise and make leadership nothing. That's departing to the left. Or we can pretend that leaders have everything together and put everybody under a microscope so that nobody can ever be a leader unless they pretend that something's true of them that's not really true. That's departing to the right. So Satan's plan is to get everybody off track no matter what. Now, this morning, we are going to consider Scripture. And what I'm hoping will happen is that we'll grow, we'll be challenged, we'll be inspired as leaders, that our elders will think through, hey, who does God call us to be? And am I that? And if I'm not that, how do I work on becoming that? And that as a church, we'll understand how critically important it is and that we will pray for and encourage our leaders. And so uh, that's where we're headed this morning. I want to remind us that as messed up as, as things can be and as much as people can struggle, I want to always remind us of these two verses. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. People's weaknesses, failures, and the way we blow it is not going to determine where God's family goes. God is sovereign, and he is working, and he is the, the power behind the church being what it should be. Um, 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives growth. And so this morning, we're going to consider three things. Number one, that we need to appoint qualified elders. We'll read, we'll read about that. Number two, we appoint leaders to shepherd, to care for people in the church. And number three, we need to follow our leaders as they follow Christ. You know, God works as powerfully through the people that he appoints to lead as he does through those who follow. Satan attacks leaders as much as he attacks people who are following. One of the things I love about the Old Testament is, is you look and you see, number one, influence makes a difference. Leadership matters. And so you look at all the kings in Israel and you'll see a good faithful king and how God blesses the nation through that. You'll see an unfaithful king and how the nation suffers because of that. 
And on some occasions, you see a faithful, godly leader that nobody listens to. And then you'll also see an unfaithful leader, but because the people are godly, they're not destroyed, they're not damaged, they're not harmed. And so leadership and following are both very powerful and very influential. So we're going to be looking this morning at um, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, go ahead and get to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, Peter, he is a great example of leadership, I think, in every area. One of the things I love about Peter is that in the Gospels, he's outspoken, he's powerful, he says these great things, but, you know, he also is a tool of Satan. Um, in the Gospels, um, Peter says to Jesus, hey, you can never go to the cross. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. So he actually speaks to Satan, who's influencing Peter to talk. And he says, you are a stumbling block to me. So there's an example of a person who's supposed to be following Jesus, but just decides, no, I know I'm following, but I don't care what you say. Let me tell you how this should be. And actually, Satan um, and Jesus say, you're a stumbling block. Like, that was, a, that was a way that Satan attacked Jesus. So that was Peter. I think when you think about our passage this morning, you'll see him talk about Satan, and he's looking back to himself. Here's the other thing, is that he denied Christ. Um, he, Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I'm going to deny you before my Father. And right after he says that, Peter denies Jesus. And he's discouraged and he's humiliated. And Jesus comes to him and says, Peter, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs. His huge failure, Jesus comes alongside and loves him and encourages him. And it's not like, so then Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost and thousands of people come to know the Lord and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's not like his problems end. Because in Galatians chapter 2, um, Peter has just learned all these things about how Jews and Gentiles are one, and all, you have all these people come to this Galatian church and a bunch of Jews. And the Jews say, hey, we don't like Gentiles. We're not going to hang out with the Gentiles. And when they start having that attitude, a racist attitude, Peter gets sucked up, and he, he was hanging out and eating with the Gentiles, and these people show up, and then all of a sudden Peter's hanging out with them and ignoring the Gentiles. And the Apostle Paul goes and he confronts Peter in front of everybody and he says, you are a hypocrite. Now, you'd think for some people that if you got humiliated and called out in front of a church and, and confronted in a really powerful way, maybe you would hate the person who did that to you. But one of the things that we see in the Bible, Peter loved Paul. And one of the things that Peter says is, Paul, our beloved brother, is writing scripture and some people they take the things that he writes that are hard to understand and they pollute it and they distort it and so the, the peter loved paul he repented and so peter was not a perfect man but he was a man used greatly by god and here as an old man he's going to write about what leadership should be like so let's look at it number one we appoint qualified leaders. Look at 1 Peter 5, 1. It says, so I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. One of the things that you see here is that, that Peter puts himself on the same level as the other elders. Jesus is exalted, and he's just one of the leaders that are serving. And then he says, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. As Peter was witnessing the sufferings of Christ, first of all, he knew Jesus firsthand. But secondly, when was his greatest failure? When did he deny Jesus? It was during the sufferings of Christ. And so the, all that stuff is informing this, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter says, I'm a Christian, I know the Lord, and I'm headed to heaven, and he was living for eternity. And so that's the first step of leadership, is that a person is a faithful Christian. Now you'll notice too here that he says, the elders among you, there's a plurality of leadership. There should be many elders. Um, so there's a plurality, 
He puts himself on the same level. He was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And, he, and then he goes on and he talks about motivation. So we'll come back. But I want to point out one other thing in this passage. If you look at um, verse 1 and 2, there are three words in the New Testament that are used for elders. There's elder, which is just referring to the dignity of an older person, somebody with experience in life. There is the word overseer, and overseer is just talking about somebody who's responsible to manage and oversee and to provide leadership. And there's the word pastor or shepherd. And so in this passage, Peter uses all three words. Now, here's the interesting thing. The noun for pastor is only used in Ephesians 4. The rest of the time, it's a verb, as it is here, shepherd the church. And the word for overseer in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the qualifications for an elder are given, and the term that's used there is overseer. In Titus chapter 1, verse 5 through 9, the qualifications for an elder are given, and the term elder is used there. So Peter uses all three of these words. Now, one of the things that is significant for us to understand is that nobody is sufficient to be a leader in the church. We're inadequate. And the Apostle Paul says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves in anything, but our sufficiency is from Christ. First, 2 Timothy 3.16 talks about the inspired, faithful Word of God. And he says that we study these things and we teach these things so that we will be adequate. Our adequate comes not because we know everything, but because we realize we don't, and we look to God's Word and we faithfully teach what it says. That's our adequacy. Now, process for selecting leaders. Um, you see this in Acts chapter 6, so if you look at this, up here, we, we looked at this last week on just membership, that, that the church knew who they were. But look at this. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So in this, we're not talking about ministry priorities. But as we look at this, think about what the ministry priorities of leaders are. But then look what it says here. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. You see this dual selection. The body of Christ comes along, and they, they recognize, and they say, okay, who are these Spirit-filled, spiritually faithful men that we can put in charge of this task? So the body of Christ is, is a part of selecting leaders. But the leaders are a filter, and they are the ones who ultimately appoint the leaders, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, and that pleased the whole gathering. And so you see here that in the selection of deacons and deaconesses, that the whole body is involved in selecting leaders. And I think that that should also be the case in the selecting of leaders and, and all, all leaders in the church. And then if you look at um, these, these passages, Acts 14, Titus 1.5, and 1 Timothy 5.22, they appointed elders. Um, that is what Paul tells Titus. That's why I left you in Crete, to appoint elders. And in 1 Timothy 5.22, he's telling Timothy, don't be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. So there's this warning in 1 Timothy chapter 5, do not carelessly appoint people to leadership because when you do that, you are responsible to some degree for the leadership that happens. So this is something that we need to be careful about. Now in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to go through this passage here. And we're going to actually look at some of the qualifications for a leader. And so, um, specifically, the qualifications of an elder or a pastor. And so, let's look at this. 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. This is a key element, and we're going to go back and look at 1 Peter, the first section, a leader does not aspire to a position. 
They aspire to a task, the task of shepherding and caring for people. And so the first qualification for a leader is that they have a heart for people in ministry. It's not that they want the recognition. It's not that they want the power. It's not because they want things their way. It's because they see people need to be cared for, and I want to care for them. So when you're looking for a leader, the first thing to ask yourself is, does this person shepherd? Um, You don't have to be appointed to be an elder to care for people. And so one of the first things that you do in a church family is you don't say, you know, you seem really awesome. You seem like a really great guy. You're not serving anywhere. You're not teaching anybody. You're not caring for anybody. Hey, would you like to be an elder in the church? That is the wrong thing to do. You start with just looking around and saying, who is teaching? Who is faithful? Who is caring for people? Who loves people? Okay, That's the pool that we're going to evaluate and consider for leadership. The very first step is, do you love people? Do you care about them? And are you serving them? Are you shepherding in a faithful way? Here's the second thing. They're spiritually mature people. It says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. So these are mature people who, um, above reproach is the word blameless. It's not to say there's nothing wrong in your life. I mean, there's nobody who meets that qualification except Jesus. But it's a person who does not, their life is not dominated by sin. They don't disregard what God says and go, oh yeah, I know God says that, but I'm not going to do that. It's people who live faithfully. When they blow it, when they step off the, off the path, they repent and they get back on. It's people whose lives are characterized by faithfulness and obedience to God. Um, the husband of one wife, that's a man who's married. Now the Bible says that the illustration of the church and Jesus is, the way of, is, is a marriage And so in a sense, if you can't love and lead your wife, that doesn't mean perfectly, but if you don't have a healthy marriage, a godly marriage, then you can't be an elder or leader in the church. So it's it's a person who's the husband of one wife, um, not um, not somebody with a wandering eye, a person who's faithful to their spouse, sober-minded. That's living life with a seriousness, an appropriate seriousness, self-controlled. That's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, that you just don't do whatever you feel like doing. You, you do what God calls you to do. Respectable, hospitable, loving, reaching out to people, and able to teach a person who knows God's Word and can explain it. Um, on the other side, leaders are not controlled by sin, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. That's a motivation thing. So a person not dominated by sin. Here's another one, verse 4. Proven shepherding, a godly influence on people. Here's how that's measured. He must be one who manages his own household well with all dignity, keeping his own children submissive, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and into a snare of the devil. So it's a person with proven leadership. Want to come back to... Um, able to teach. Titus adds this phrase. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Um, uh, Ezra describes this perfectly in the Old Testament. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it. Leaders are not just people that want to figure out what God says. Leaders are people who figure out, what does God say? Now, how do I actually do this? 
and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. That's the pattern, knowing what God says, practicing it in your own life, and then teaching others. And so that's what we need in leaders, any leader in any position. And if you're a parent, that's you, that you study God's word, that you practice it, and that you teach your kids. So we need to be very careful. The Bible tells us as far as teaching, um, God's word, leaders need to be people of the word. This is what it says in 2 Timothy 4. So Paul is leaving. He, he knows he's about to die. And these are his final words to Timothy. And this is what he says to him. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. And then it goes on and it says, For the time is coming will people will, will not endure sound teaching. That's healthy teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That is a description of our day. Um, anybody who is not convinced of the truth of Scripture, anybody who is not in submission to God and by, accept, by extension in submission to Scripture, the reason we submit to Scripture is because it's what God says. And whatever God says is right. And if, if there's a difference of opinion between you and the Bible, who's wrong? If there's a person somewhere that's really smart and they got a PhD and they've studied all kinds of things and they think they're pretty smart and they just say, you know, I think on this point, the Bible's wrong. Who's wrong? God or the person with some degree from some institution somewhere? The very first step in being qualified to be a leader is that you understand and submit to Scripture. And I think one of the things that we do, there's a lot of us, we're in process. We're learning. We read things in Scripture that don't make sense to us. We might read things that we think are wrong. And you know what? That's all a part of the Christian faith. That's all a part of growing. That's all a part of going, okay, wait a second. Let's ask, how could this be right? And then looking into it and studying it. But here's the deal. If you have not worked through that process and you have not come to the place that you are in submission to Scripture, you are not ready to be a leader. You are not mature enough to be a leader. That is the starting place for leadership is that you know God and that you submit to him. And so I don't want anybody here to feel like, oh man, I read this verse and it seemed wrong. I better be quiet or I'm going to get judged. No, let's bring that out into the light. Let's talk about that. I remember when I was in, um, in high school, I had a science teacher who said, Two of every kind of animal could not have fit on the ark. And I just remember thinking, oh my goodness, what if two of every kind of animal couldn't fit on the ark? Well, then the Bible would be wrong. And I just took a step back and thought, but wait a second. Um, God knows what happened. And if God says two of every kind of animal could fit on the ark, then two of every kind of animal must have been able to fit on the ark. By the way, they've done studies. They've looked at the average size of an animal um, and, and they've kind of figured out how much space does an animal need? You know, when you're putting them on rail cars and people have done all kinds of studies in that. They figured out how many animals, how much space it would take and whether they could fit on the ark. And actually you can go to Kentucky and they've built a life-sized ark. And just so you know, there's enough room on the ark for all the animals and food and enough space to wander around. And so the bottom line is that there's all kinds of people who have these presuppositions and they want to trust the word of a person that rebels against God and rejects God and they trust their opinion over scripture. And so leaders to be qualified are people of the word. So here's, here's the next point here. We need to have qualified leaders, but what is it that we are calling leaders to do? We appoint leaders to shepherd God's flock. Let's continue reading in verse 2. 
It says here, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So the, the first thing that we understand is that a shepherd is shepherding God's flock. The church does not belong to leaders. It belongs to Jesus. And so that's the, the first thing. We are, we are shepherding. We are stewards of something and of people that don't belong to us. By the way, as a parent, your kids are not yours. They are God's children. And so in your parenting, maybe your kids frustrate you and you get upset with them and maybe you yell at them. Well, I just want you to keep this in mind. Those are God's kids. So think about this in these terms. If uh, my kids were six years old and they were sitting in your Sunday school class and they were aggravating you, would you like lay into them and yell at them? I would hope not. You would think, man, I don't want to do that. Raj might get mad. Um, I want you to think about this. Your kids are not your kids. They belong to God and you are loving them and you are shepherding them and you are caring for them as a steward. And the same is true of people in the church. And so it says, shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. And not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering those in char in, under your charge, but being examples to the flock. This is another um, critical thing that we need to remember. Leaders are examples. What God expects is of a leader, he expects of every person. There is not a higher standard for leaders. And so what has God called us to do? Um, Acts chapter 20 is one of my favorite passages. We're not going to read the whole thing. But this is what Paul, when he describes being an elder, he describes spending time. He says, how, you know how I was with you all the time. He spent time with people. He knew them. He cared for them. He taught them the word. He says, you know, I taught you publicly. I taught you privately from house to house. And I taught you everything that God said. I didn't skip it. So that's one of the responsibilities of elders. He evangelized and he encouraged spiritual growth. He, he tells the elders that you need to watch out for yourselves. So elders are supposed to look out for each other's spiritual well-being and for all the flock. And he says this, because savage wolves are going to arise from among yourselves and try to devour the flock. One of the jobs of an elder is to protect from false teaching and to be alert, to be paying attention. Did you know it is not just an elder's job to properly address the things he sees? It's an elder's job to make sure he sees the things that he is supposed to see. Now think about that as a parent. It's not just your job to deal with the things that you see in your kids' lives. It's your job to be close enough to your kids that you know what's happening in their lives. One of the things I think about, if you have a kid and they're sexually immoral, no kid's gonna come home and say, hey mom, dad, I'm sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend. But my question for you is are you close enough to your kid do you know your kid that when your kid walks through the door, you look at his face or her face and something just doesn't seem right and you just sense a change in their heart? You know, kids don't come home and say, hey, mom, dad, I'm I'm smoking pot now or I've just decided today that I'm going to take some heroin. Like kids don't come home and say that as a parent. Are you involved? Do you understand? Do you know? What is happening in your kids' lives? Do you know what to look for? And from the time kids are young, the primary responsibility of caring for our kids, it's not this negative thing where we just try to stop them. It's a positive training. It is a positive instruction. Now, let me just say this. If you're a parent, <laughs> you're a parent of teenagers, um, how many of you guys feel like you did it all right? You were always aware of everything. You always uh, applied the proper leadership. And if you think that, uh, you got big problems. <laughs> um, the thought of what God has called us to do as leaders should make us feel completely inadequate. Now, think about how much easier it is 
to know what's going on in your own kid's life than it would be for a pastor or an elder in the church to know what's going on in everybody's life in a church. So God has called elders and leaders to this huge job that's impossible to do without God's help. I just want you to know that parenting is impossible to do without God's help. And so we don't beat each other up and we don't beat ourselves up over failures in this area, but we take seriously what God has called us to do. We work diligently to be good at it and we pray for God's help. In uh, Ezekiel, um, there's a high accountability to this. Uh, It says this in verse four, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You want to know who the chief shepherd is? That's Jesus. He's the ultimate shepherd. He's the one to whom we're going to give an account. Now in in Ezekiel, um, there's a watchman that's discussed, and here's what God says. God says to Ezekiel, it is your job to warn people, to be a watchman, to call people to obedience, to warn them. And if they don't listen, their blood is on their own head. And he says, on the other hand, if you warn them and they disregard you, their blood is on their own head. And so if people listen, if you warn people, they're responsible. If you don't warn people, you are responsible. And so as a parent and as a leader in a church, we do the best we can. We pray for help, but there's a responsibility on the part of the people who hear. And so we need to understand that. We need to make sure we're doing our part. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 5, he talks about leadership and motivation and all those things. You want to know what's interesting? If you read Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 1 through 12, Peter is following the outline of a discussion that Ezekiel gives about the shepherds of Israel. And I think that this is really helpful for us to kind of think through what are the responsibilities of leaders. So basically, Ezekiel 34, 1, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should you not shepherd, should you should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, and you do not feed the sheep. See, there are some people that they're shepherds and they're leaders for what they can get. They're driven and motivated by greed, which is what Peter says leaders can't be motivated by. And then he goes on, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you've ruled them. So God is against shepherds that fail to love and care for people's spiritual well-being. You know, sometimes that just comes out in that you get leaders who they're not willing to actually go confront sin. They're not willing to go address issues in people's lives because it makes people mad. And, and, and sometimes you get leaders that want to be liked. They're not willing to offend. A true leader is a person and a true parent. Some parents think their job is to be their kid's friends. Yes, you should be your kid's best friend. But your job is not to be liked by your kids. Your job is not to be liked by the people who you're supposed to be caring for. Your job is to help and to be willing to do the hard things to help the people in your family and that God called you to care for. So this is an encouragement. And we'll see this. Peter's going to talk about this too. But he goes on and he says, Thus says the Lord God, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue the sheep from their mouths, and they will not be food for them. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them. You know what God's promise is? If you have shepherds, 
shepherds that are not doing their job in your life, God is going to hold those leaders accountable, but he will step into your life. He will care for you. He will shepherd you. Our ultimate confidence and trust is not in the leaders we have. We trust them. We do follow them. But our ultimate confidence and trust is in God himself. Okay. Um, I say we go quick on point three. Look at verse five. This is God's call to us who are following leaders. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Be in submission to them. Follow them. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Verse 8, be sober-minded and watchful, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Um, I'm going to quickly go through three passages that talk about our responsibility to our leaders. And the first one is just simply, it's the whole issue of authority in general. Um, ultimately, we need to understand that God is the one who appoints leaders. And this says here, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. So this is just all authorities, specifically even political authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Um, I can't tell you over the years how many times I've had a kid come to me and just say, you have no idea, my parents are monsters. They are terrible. Um, let me just tell you all the bad things my parents do. They are terrible parents. And you want to know what I say to the kids? Do you think it's an accident that you are in that home? Those are your parents with all of their flaws that God has given you. And you need to pray for your parents. You need to encourage your parents. You need to be in submission to your parents. You need to love your parents. And, and so I just tell them, hey, all authority is from God. Same thing's in tr true of work and jobs and everything else. Ultimately, as a parent, we teach our kids to be submissive to us, not for us. Because that is a reflection of their relationship with God. If your kids are rebelling against you, they are rebelling against God. Rebellion is not a natural, normal thing for teenagers, a lot of teenagers do it, but rebellion's not natural and normal. Rebellion is an expression that there is something spiritually wrong. And in the church, if you're rebelling at church, if you're rebelling at work, anytime you're rebelling against an authority in your life, that is an expression that something is spiritually wrong. And so that's a general concept, which we could say a lot about, and we're not going to. So these are two specific passages about what we do with our leaders. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you, and that you esteem, the very that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Okay, this is talking about the church, but think about how that would apply in your family. Appreciate to respect, that's to understand. Um, you ever feel like sometimes your kids don't understand your job as a parent? Like you're telling them things and they have a context in their life where they just think, I, I remember I was talking to this one kid and he was just like, I can't stand my parents. They're trying to pick my friends. And I, I said, wow, um, so they're really mean. Your, your parents are picking your friends? Like, why do you think they're doing that? Well, my friends are taking drugs and they're failing out of school and they're doing all these things and my parents think that they're going to influence me. And I'm just like, oh, so, so your parents don't want you to hang out with those kids because they're taking drugs and they're flunking out of school and they're having all these problems in their life. So your parents are concerned that you'll be damaged through those relationships. Man, you poor kid. You got mean parents. You ever feel like sometimes um, kids don't appreciate the responsibilities that God has given parents? See, we should appreciate and understand and respect the leaders that God has given us.
um, because of their work. That's a huge work. Be at peace among yourselves. Greatest gift you can give your parents is don't fight. You know, go on a family vacation, all the kids are fighting. Okay, we're just going to move on here. <laughs> There's so much we could say about all these things. How about this? Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Leaders are going to answer to God for what they do. It goes on and it says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. These are our responsibilities that we have toward our leaders. I'm going to give you two illustrations from the Old Testament as we think about this, and we'll close with this. But one of them is Saul and David, King Saul. You guys familiar with that story in the Old Testament? So you have King Saul. God chooses him, does amazing things, and Saul just consistently disobeys God. He disobeys God. God says, kill all the animals. And um, Samuel shows up, and he says, hey, Saul, did you disobey God? He's like, oh, no. No, I, I didn't. And then Samuel says, you're supposed to kill the animals. I hear lots of bleeding and I'm seeing lots of animals. He says, oh, you know, I saved them for a sacrifice. So Saul sins and then labels it obedience. I disregarded God because I wanted to worship him. That's not how that works. And God says to Saul, I have rejected you as king. So God rejects him as king. And then he says, I'm picking out a new king for myself. You know who that king is? It's King David. Now, we all know that happened, but a lot of times we don't understand when that happened. Did you know that that happens? David is anointed as king, and then David goes and kills Goliath. The entire life of David described when he's working with Saul is after Saul's been rejected and after David has been chosen as king. And Saul is oppressed by a demon. He hates David. David. David is playing the harp for him so he won't lose his mind. And he's throwing a spear at David, trying to kill David. And then David goes into hiding and he's running while Saul's trying to kill him. And David's just saying, hey, Saul, all I've done is loved you and served you. And at one point, David and his men find Saul asleep. And one of David's men has a spear and he just says, hey, today God has given Saul into your hand. I'm going to take this spear. I'm going to kill Saul. He's not going to make a, he's not going to even going to move. God's given you Saul into your hands. And you want to know what David says? Don't do it. I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. David said, God put Saul in and God's going to take Saul out. I'm not going to do that. So that's David honoring God's authority. There's another example of Moses. The Pharisees talk about how great Moses was as a leader, but do you know Israel hated Moses? You read through so many times, you read through the story of Moses leading Israel, and it says over and over, Israel lined up against Moses. Moses complains, he just says, God, the people are about to stone me. And God is so mad after the, the golden calf incident that God says to Moses, hey, I'm going to wipe out Israel. I'm going to kill all of them. And Moses is praying, God, please don't, don't, don't kill them. Don't wipe them out. Forgive them. And so Moses is leading Israel. He's caring for Israel. He's praying for Israel. And Israel does nothing but grumble and complain and they're terrible followers. In fact, one time Aaron and Miriam, uh, they get mad at Moses because he married a black lady. And they just say, they, they stand and speak against him. And God says, who do you think you are to speak against my servant Moses? And gives Miriam leprosy. Which, by the way, Moses prays for her and then she doesn't have her leprosy. Then there was some worship leaders in Israel, the sons of Korah. And they all get together and they just say, Moses, who do you think you are to lead us? Why have you exalted yourself? And Moses says, hey, look, I didn't put myself here. Let's let God decide. So tomorrow, let's all go stand before God and we'll see, hey, look, if, if we'll let God decide who's the leader here. 
And so all these people who rebel against Moses, they line up on one side, Moses is on another side, and the ground just opens up and they fall in and the ground covers over them and then he sends fire to burn them all, like the other people that are left. You know, God just says, you don't mess with my leaders. And then you have Moses who's faithfully serving and you wanna know what happens? So at the end of Moses' ministry, the people are griping and they're complaining and they've been doing it the whole time. And they're just saying, we're thirsty, we're going to die. It's like all this 40 years of God's provision. And they're just, they're complaining and they're griping against Moses. And God says, okay, Moses, go speak to the rock and give them all water. And Moses is so aggravated and he's so frustrated that he goes over to the rock and he hits it with his staff and he says, look, see, we'll give you water. And then water flows out and all the people have water to drink. And God says to Moses, hey, Moses, um, you were supposed to speak to the rock. Instead, you hit the rock in anger and you say that you're giving the people water. You're not going into the promised land. So Moses leads all the people through all that stuff. And at the very end, he is killed he is executed for failing to treat God with holiness. Now, Moses is responsible for that. God doesn't ever say to a leader, hey, if the people are aggravating, then abuse them and be sinful toward them. And God says, no, you always remember these are my people and you treat me with holiness. But if those people were gracious and loving and encouraging, it wouldn't have brought judgment into Moses' life. And so as people who are following, man, we need to love and encourage our parents and follow our parents well and pray for our parents and be an encouragement to our parents and not be hard to lead. And in the church, uh, we follow our leaders, we love our leaders, we pray for our leaders, and we are not hard to lead. We need to be people that love and encourage and bring blessing into each other's lives. God works powerfully through a faithful leader, but God also works very powerfully through people who follow well. I can't tell you how many times I've seen in marriage a husband who disobeys God, who's supposed to be the leader of the family, and a wife who loves God, who prays for her husband, who is gentle and submissive and gracious and kind in the spirit in the face of mistreatment and to see God save that husband and turn things around in the family through the faithfulness of a wife who follows well. It's important that we lead correctly, but it's also important that we follow well. Let me pray. God, thank you for giving us your word. And Lord, we have scratched the surface on leadership and yet these are important things. God, I pray that you would help us to love you, to be faithful to you, to honor you in how we lead and also in how we follow. God, we know that if we lead well, it's you that is causing the growth. And Lord, if we follow well, it is you that is causing the growth. And yet, Lord, we ask that you would help us to be faithful in your name. Amen.